Welcome to another edition of the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you usually listen to your podcasts. My name is Will Suter, standing in for Frank Barker this week to introduce the first of a two-part interview with Oyen Bambozi, Head of Sales at ResponseTap, an intelligent call tracking platform designed to integrate seamlessly with your other MarTech tools. In this episode, Oyen and Frank discuss their experiences navigating the increasingly crowded MarTech marketplace and talk about ways to inspire your sales team and help them perform at the top of their game. Make sure to tune in next week as well for the rest of this fascinating conversation. Oyen, how are you doing today? Very good. Uh, very good, Frank. Frankie, this is a... It's an interesting time to have this conversation. So yeah, I'm excited for this. Excellent. Me too. We're here today to talk about high performance sales teams uh, in 2020 and beyond. Um, I suppose, well, we'll start off nice and simple. How has the salesperson evolved over the last, well, five, 10 years? What skills do they now need? Yeah, that's a, that's a very broad question. Um, <laughs> but quite specific at the same time as well. I think when I think about it, there, there are two main things that have changed the entire sort of like sales landscape. One is you've got salespeople today who are uh, obviously your millennials, right? Uh, and these people are the completely different beasts, right? They are the internet generation, the I want it now generation. And not just even I want it now, frankly, right? These guys can have it now generation. Yeah. You're talking about the guys who, you know, they Google any information that they require. Uh, they swipe right to get dates now, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's that sort of instant. Um, and then obviously in terms of clicking a button, uh, they can click a button and then there's a little delivery guy at the door the next day. So that instant gratification means that they have an idea uh, of the way uh, they've got like their own viewpoint uh, of the way the world works. But sales is still sales, right? It, it still requires huge amounts of effort uh, of which you may not even see a result at the end of it or even for a period of time. And, and I think sometimes that can leave, you know, today's salesperson feeling, you know, jaded quite quickly. So with that said, I, I guess they require a more considered style of management um, and personal development in order to get the best out of them. I think something else as well, you know, that's changed the, uh, the landscape. The second thing is that we sales leaders have to recognize quite quickly that the sales landscape has changed from your typical boiler room to a more consultative model. Uh, and the main reason for that is that the change is the customer is a lot more informed than they ever were. So before a prospect speaks to a salesperson, you know, they've already done a relatively significant amount of research, which means that salesperson is just there to act as a guide you know, to help them figure out uh, the optimum solution. And that's much, you know, easier said than done. So therefore, one of the key things required now uh, of a modern salesperson is the ability to build trust quickly. I mean, a great book to read on that subject is like Dale Carnegie's, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People or Stephen Covey's Speed of Trust, right? All of that is very important for the modern salesperson. As well as that, you've got speed, Right. The modern sales guy has to respond quickly, but, but, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're always on. 
You know, it doesn't take us days now to reply to an email. We can have a conversation on email, then we move it to LinkedIn, then a bit of video, you know, so we actually respond quite quickly. So again, speed is is of the essence with modern day salespeople. Um, they also have to be very good at effective questioning. Okay. Uh, and of course, in order to, to do this, you need to understand how your products truly helps customers in all situations. So you need sales guys that are product and market experts. That business acumen is now more important than ever because, like I said, the buyer is so much more educated now. So you're there to act as a guide and help provide that optimum solution. So understanding the needs of a, a business thoroughly, you know, submerging yourself in a, in a sector such as understanding, for example, how COVID-19 can be impacting business today. You know, all of that is very relevant. Um, and also how your product can then help them solve some of these problems that they're experiencing, you know, especially in this challenging time. Fascinating. Um, thanks for that, Ian. Um, so instant gratification, a theme that comes through um, with, with millennials. Uh, we're, we're seeing that you get frustrated if you don't get your, your the answers to your problems, uh, you know, immediately um, answered by a company. Um, the... I often find myself, I if, if I'm looking for a complex solution for, for something that I'm you know, looking at a product, mm. I find myself reaching for the explainer video. Like if there's not an, an explainer video that gives me the gist or 80% of what I need to know within the first, you know, within 60 seconds, then I, I do think that's a bad or poor user experience. So I'm, I'm always looking for that kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm a product of it as well, instant gratification. Um, but you, you mentioned that uh, you know millennials are, are looking for speed. Um, I suppose you, as a man manager, you know managing a high performance sales team. What tools and platforms are you finding most useful, particularly during COVID nineteen, that are allowing your team to function as normal by working from home? Yeah, that's that's a great question as well. Just re regarding tools. I guess there's so many tools, you know, <laughs> platforms and software that are out there at our disposal. So for me personally, um, my focus is always to think strategically, you know, and, and think about how I can sustain and scale the sales arm of, of the business. So when choosing the tools and platforms, they need to complement that, you know. So there are three pillars, basically, that I've built uh, my business around. Uh, one is hiring and onboarding. The second is learning and development. And the third one is uh, robust sales methodology, right? So those are the three pillars I've built my sales around. So it's important that any tools that I implement complement me in those three sort of like pillars. So if we start off with like hiring and onboarding, right? The hiring formula, what, what I did was I sort of like created a hiring formula um, that's competency-based, and what that does is it ensures that the questions and the role plays are all based on preset competencies, which relate to the skills that, you know, sort of like those skills that we talked about earlier. So to give you a bit of an example, right? Let's say I was hiring an SDR today. There are five main skills I test for. I won't go, go through all of them, but I'll just mention a couple. One is like adaptability to change. So the reason why adaptability to change is valuable is because we need individuals now who can, who are who welcome change, you know, who aren't adverse to change. Our response, our targets can change on a dime. You know, targets can change tomorrow because we've launched a new product and we now have to try and increase its adoption to encourage success stories and figure out if, you know, if we've got something. Um, and 
part of what you're also looking for is like a level of resilience as well. You know, with that adaptability change, you're also looking for that level of resilience. So the questions I ask and the role plays around that, I'm testing for that. I'm looking for that. And that's very important, right? Because you're, you're trying to find the right people, of course, um, in a way. The second, uh, I guess, another competency I, I look for as well is coachability. And the reason for that is at Responsa, we've got a, a unique way of working, right? Um, that, and when someone deviates from it, they never actually quite crack it. So we've done this where we've hired people from, you know, the big hitters, like your Salesforce and your Oracle. And these guys have come in with their preset notions of how sales should be or how things should, should work and haven't actually quite been successful. And the reason for that is, you know, ResponseUp is a complex product. Uh, and like I said earlier, you know, we have a unique way of working. So it's important that we hire open-minded people who come into the business and are open-minded to our ways of working, who are ready to take on our approach, our sales methodology, you know, and adopt that and then try and, you know, raise their game and elevate in, in that regard. So for me, those are just, that's just giving you a couple of sort of like the um, skills that I'm testing for. And one of the tools I use is, like I said, that hiring formula um, that was formed by, it's not, it's not unique to me. It's, it was formed by uh, Mark Roberge. Yeah. Uh, Mark Roberge is HubSpot. the guy who wrote the sales acceleration formula, HubSpot, exactly. You know, he took MIT engineering graduate, took uh, HubSpot from zero to a hundred million, et cetera. So that hiring formula is something that I've adopted. So in terms of my own personal sales methodology and, and sort of like process, um, for me, I've assembled all of that a la carte. So I, I don't use one methodology. You know, I have like, in terms of hiring and onboarding, I use sort of like the sales acceleration formula. But when it comes to learning and development, I take a totally different approach. When it comes to onboarding, um, I've created a two-week training program um, that's accessible remotely through this sort of like competency-based sales and coaching platform. It's called E4 Enable. Um, and it is important that learning especially today, can be accessed at any time uh, and anywhere, you know, especially given the current climate. But I wanted to make sure that I implemented that prior to going into lockdown as well. So the onboarding is specific to cold tracking. Uh, I've been in the cold tracking world now for five years, as you know, done pretty much every sales role in, the, in at response tab. And so I use that experience to create uh, an onboarding program that's tailored to cold tracking. So it's not generic sales training, it's specific to our industry, which means the team can then hit the ground running, right? I also use, you know, E4 Enable to help with the learning and development as well, because all those competencies that I hire for, I ensure that we continually improve on those different competencies and build out on that. And E4 Enable allows me to do that. It acts as a, a sales repository tool, you know, for all the learning and training material, but as also as that sort of like, you know, learning and development tool as well for the, for the team. So it's, it's a beautiful tool. I, I recommend it. Um, and then finally, of course, we're talking about that sort of like sales method methodology. Um, without going into too much detail, I bought a sales enablement platform, um, you know, called Outreach, um, which allows me to create various playbooks for the team, which just kind of like ensures that we follow our sales process. We can track how many calls, you know, uh, a sales rep is making. We can see emails being sent out. We can see the videos being sent out. It, it's sort of like removed the ambiguity for the salesperson in terms of what they need to do when they receive a lead, what they need to do if they're working an enterprise opportunity, what they need to do if they're working an SMB opportunity or, you know, a specific lead from a particular industry, et cetera. All that ambiguity has been removed because we've playbooked 
pretty much almost every scenario, you know, from start to finish. So outreach allows us to to implement that and, and maintain a level of consistency across the team. Yeah. Yeah. So that sounds fascinating. Uh, does How does that help your sales guys in terms of uh, them keeping track on where they're up to in conversations and, you know, you don't have to waste so much gray matter, I suppose, on the, you know, thinking, oh, did I send them the video? Did I send them? What stage are we at? I, I presume that really helps in, in that re- regard. 100%. 100%. Um, so what you're speaking about there is kind of like task management. So we we use Salesforce as our CRM, of course. Uh, but then in terms of outreach, what that allows us to do is create those future tasks around, you know, oh, uh, I need to send a video out to this customer, a video proposal, for example, to this customer. All of that is already set up in outreach. So all you have to do is just simply follow that process. So if you've got an an enterprise lead, we have an enterprise end-to-end sales process. All of that's mapped out in outreach and you're simply just following those steps, if you see what I mean. There's a lot of flair involved. You know, the guys aren't robots, don't get me wrong, but it allows them to ensure that they're almost like ticking every box that you need to, to ensure that you stay consultative, but most importantly, that you're adding value to the customer at every stage. It's so important now that the modern salesperson that we're adding value at every stage, we've got to ask ourselves that question every single time. Am I adding value? Because today, I'm sure you've uh, heard of the stats, the most recent stats, it's about 62% now of the B2B buyer can buy a product without actually even speaking to anyone. You know, they, they, they've got so much information at their fingertips. So mm-hmm. they just need a salesperson to come in and just, just help them. Um, I think the viewpoint of today's B2B buyer is, I know the data is out there, right? I just need someone to tell me what I need to pay attention to. So generally speaking, when they engage with a sales rep, they just need that sales rep to just add value and save them time. Mm-hmm. Just point them in the right direction. You know, so again, that's very important. Of course, that's easier said than done. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, that's kind of like the name of the game. On the theme of flair and communication, adding value um, from the sales rep's perspective, how how important is communication and the way they communicate with people? I've seen, um, I've actually seen seen one of your video messages that, that you send in an email in one of those cadences. Um, how how useful is that, and and why is it important to differentiate and stand out from the crowd? That's an interesting question. Um, in today's martech landscape, uh, when I say martech, I mean marketing technology landscape. When I joined ResponseUp in 2015, there were about 1,500 players. It's 2020, five years later, there are over 5,000 players. Mm-hmm. Everyone vying for that same marketing budget. That's 5,000 companies vying for that same marketing budget. So standing out from the crowd, it, it, it kind of goes without saying, right? You have to be able to cut through the noise. And in order to do that, you have to be adding value from the onset. From the moment we interact with a customer, we have to help them understand that we've done our research, we know they're a good fit. And also from the outside looking in, we know why they are a good fit. They should understand that from the moment we start reaching out to them. It shouldn't be, oh, let's have a chat to figure out whether or not this could work. We've not got time for that. Yeah, (laughs) precisely. It's like, who's got time for that, right? Um, So it's very important you're adding value from the onset, uh, simply because there's so many uh, players out there um, and like I said, the buyer is educated as well. The buyer already has an idea of whether or, uh, of what their marketing uh, their marketing technology stack should look like. 
you know, they already have an, uh, they have an awareness of some of the problems that they're facing and the issues they're facing. We're there to just help them uh, solve those problems. And we have to do that, you know, uh, articulate that message quite quickly. Yeah. So where do you, you say articulate it quickly? Where do you stand on email length? <laughs> I don't send long emails. <laughs> That's an interesting question. I mean, we could, we could talk about this one for a while, uh, but in terms of emails, you've got to, they're like two processes I've got, right? I've got the four eyes, right? And when I say the four eyes, I mean like I stands for introduction. The second I stands for insight. The third I stands for inspire. And the fourth I stands for invest. So that's sort of like a nice clean process in terms of when you're thinking about your email, when you before you click send, has your email covered those four points? Have you introduced yourself? Have you provided some level of insight that shows you've done some research around that customer? Inspire is kind of like how your solution or software solves that problem and invest is where you ask a call to action. Uh, one of the mistakes I think I see a lot of salespeople make is they believe that the invest, the call to action should always be asking for time. And if sales were that easy, we wouldn't need salespeople, right? It's not that easy. The call to action in most cases, especially initially when you're just reaching out to a customer, is, should be something like read this. Mm. You know, it should be watch this video. It shouldn't be asking for time because you should have demonstrated what you know about the customer earlier on in the email. Explain to them what you did because of what you know. So when I say no, right, I'm talking about here's what I know about you, Mr. Customer. That could be persona-based or it could be personal. When I say personal, I mean, uh, I read your blog post, right? And if it's persona-based, I'm talking about, you know, uh, articulate a problem that digital marketers in that sector face, you know, day to day. So that's like your no, right? I know that about you, Mr. Customer. And then what did you do as a result? You know, I either went on your website as a result and researched this, or I found this article, which is useful for you, that sort of thing. And here's the impact of that. Uh, and then on the back of that, you then have your, a little bit of a brief in terms of what you do as a business and then kind of like your call to action at the end of it. So, and, and also in terms of emails as well, you want to make them visually appealing and easy to read. So when someone receives an email from you, you don't want long paragraphs, no. right? It should just be, they should just see that email and it should be easy to read. So we'll start off with like say 500 characters or less right? So that I can fit onto a phone screen. Most people are reading the email on their phones now, right? So 500 characters or less so that it fits into a phone screen. Uh, Bite-sized chunks rather than a feast. Yeah. So again, not long emails. And then as I was saying, visually appealing. So highlighting key sentences or important words, uh, and then using bullet points as well to space out your messaging. So if you want to say your your product provides three bits of values to this customer, list them out in bullet points and highlight certain key key points there. So again, just as soon as you read the email, you want it to be visually appealing so that someone actually wants to read it. Yeah, fantastic. So the four eyes and 500 characters or less. So I suppose if you've ever managed a company Twitter account, then that really does come into play because you've got to do it in 140 yeah. or less. <laughs> um, I was actually just speaking with uh, with one of your guys, one of my good friends, my housemate, incidentally, um, Khalid, who's, uh, who's one of your sales guys. <laughs> and we we're having that exact discussion about the four eyes and 500 characters. We didn't name it as a framework, but that's something that I've always worked to. It's interesting to see that you're using exactly the same thing i've never actually named mine though um and i was saying no you could you can do that in three bullet points now cut that out that's waffle that's they'll give you five seconds if you're lucky so you need to hit them with their keywords and how you can help them 
Um, and all you all you want them to do is 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 look at a, a blog piece or a video that that shows people in similar situations. Because if you've got a video of somebody who's in in a situ- similar situation or someone who's used a competitor before, and you want them to switch over to you guys, then you know if you've created a video around that content, then it must be you know it must be a good solution because you've you've gone to the trouble and the res- you've put the resources t- together to make that video and explain in detail why that should happen. So fascinating to hear. I couldn't say it any better. Just putting our buyers hats on for a second, Oyin. So yeah, you've you've obviously you've been around the Martech game for for a, a, a good while now, and as have I. Um, and people try to sell to uh, you know, managers and sales managers, marketing managers. There's always a software that people want to sell. Um, but what do you look for as you, as a buyer, when, when you're, say, you're looking at, um, was it E4 Enable? Yeah, E4 Enable. Or when you're looking at, um, you know, different, the outreach uh, software. What, um, what was your process and, and how did you go about buying that? And how did you educate yourself first? Oh, that's a good question. So I guess for me, I personally knew I had that problem and then wanted to solve that problem. Um, and that's because let's say, for example, the outreach one, that's, which is a very good example. I already realized very quickly um, that I wanted the team to work in a sort of like for the most part, at least 60% in a similar fashion. The other 40%, I leave to the salesperson to add their own influence and flair, you know, to the process. But 60%, I wanted us working in the same fashion. So for example, something as simple as like, let's just say sending out a proposal. We don't send out proposals. We have a call with the customer first to take them through the proposal initially. And then we don't even just send out the PDF proposal. We send out a video proposal. So using like Vidyard, easy, right? So on Vidyard, you're there talking them through the proposal so that they don't, it's it's quite simple. And so of course I want everyone doing that. Now, how they come across in the videos, the language they use, I kind of leave that up to the salesperson and I trust them to you know be able to articulate the message uh, accordingly. But something as simple as that is not sending out proposals blindly, but taking a customer through it and then following up with a video proposal is is that sort of thing. So for me, knowing that I had that problem, around wanting the team to work in sort of like a uniform fashion. Yeah. I knew I needed something that could allow us to to execute that. Uh, and then that's where my research began. Because um, I started, I, what I'd actually done initially was I built out a playbook for all the different sort of like scenarios that we had, the common ones that we had initially. And the guys were actually ma- doing task management in Salesforce. I give them so much credit for this, where... After every sort of like call and process, we were literally task managing this stuff in Salesforce, like manually, you know, and these guys are working however many deals a day or whatever. So having to do that, I commend, I have no idea how I even convinced them to do that. But the fact that they went ahead and did that for me, is just, it's mind blowing now when I look back on it. Anyway, because outreach is automated, you know, a a good chunk of that, at least 40% of that now is automated by by, uh, uh, outreach or actually about 30%. The other 70 is there for all the personalization. So a lot of the task management, the guys don't have to manually create tasks, label them and then close those tasks and then create a future task. All of that sort of mundane admin is is out the window. Outreach has allowed us to just sort of like automate that. So I realized I had the problem. I went out and did the research. Um, if the question is kind of like, why did I choose outreach instead of maybe one of their competitors, like a sales loft, et cetera. I found the the tools quite similar at the time. This is, you know, two years ago or so when I was looking into this. Interestingly enough, it was the sales guy. Right. 
Um, what was it about him? i never forget the guy. He basically wholeheartedly understood my pain points. It was clear. And because I already knew I had that pain, the questions he was asking meant he was just drawing out the pain. He helped me understand, you know, exactly why we needed outreach. And then one of the things he did as well was he, um, he used this tool to draw out my current process and then what the process would be once we bought outreach. So he went ahead and did that work. So it was very easy for me to then take that. I added that to the business proposal that I used internally, you know, for uh, when I was pitching it back to kind of like our CRO and the CEO to say, hey, look, we need this tool. I actually used that um, uh, diagram that he'd created of a workflow that made my job easier in terms of getting the budget approved for it. So that was very helpful. Whereas the guy at Sales Love was very much just very straightforward. He just gave me the, uh, uh, the the proposal, sent it over to me. He understood, you know, the, where I was coming from, but you could just tell it didn't go over and beyond. I guess maybe our business was too small for him. Maybe the kid, <laughs> we weren't like a big fish for him. Who knows? But anyway, the guy at Outreach put in a bit more effort yeah. um, and really helped me. He just made my job easier in terms of going back. And I found the tool similar as well. So the trump card could easily be just a sales guy. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Good story to hear. So the, the, the customer service element, it's, you're already getting a, a hint of what the customer success would look like by how much care and, you know, uh, how much care he's going to put into, um, you as a company. Precisely. So just moving back away from, um, sort of the day-to-day sales, but more onto the management side of things again, I know we were talking before a few weeks back on um, work-life balance and how you're adapting to working from home and getting the team to work from home. What sort of tools are you using to monitor employee engagement and you know, the wellness of your employees and, and check out how, how your guys are doing? What sort of stuff have, or what insight have you got for us there? Yeah, so that's that's an interesting one because I guess particularly in a sales environment uh, that that's high pressure and targeted, um, one thing I'm very proud of is as a business, you know, we're committed to providing a supportive and collaborative environment and culture. So some of the inif- initiatives that we're doing to ensure kind of like well-being is, you know, have a feedback culture. And, and we use this sort of like web-based employee engagement platform. Uh, and what that platform does is it conducts surveys and feedbacks to measure not just employee s- satisfaction, but employee wellness. So it's actually quite granular. It provides feedback on various aspects like, you know, relationship with manager and, you know, recognition, you know, are they getting enough recognition, you know, the relationship with their peers, et cetera. So all of that allows uh, me to keep a pulse on how the team is feeling, you know, and act accordingly. Um, Some of the other stuff we do is kind of like walking PDRs, but that particular tool, you know, that, that tool really does help us get an idea of the mental state and the wellness uh, of each individual in the team as well. And that's, you know, that's something that's very important to us. Yeah, fantastic. And um, what, what sort of initiatives do you, how do you react to the the scores? What, what will you bring in? Oh man, so that is such a good question. <laughs> so th- this is a very recent thing that's just happened. This has literally just happened. We're talking like, you know, Friday last week where the wellness score in the team dropped off uh, quite significantly recently. And obviously I was, you know, straight away, I was alarmed by it. So I called a meeting just to talk about it. And wellness score is basically just work-life balance. 
where I think the team felt, they felt overwhelmed with the situation that we were in. Everyone was now working from home. Um, they were missing the team, the physical camaraderie, all of that sort of stuff. So I think a bit of that, as well as the fact that we had to do, you know, you could argue maybe double the work to keep things going. Um, so it was a, a tough time for the team, uh, a lot of pressure on them. So the wellness dropped as a result. So I tried to understand what we could do to improve that and improve that score. So I called the meeting and we had, uh, I allowed everyone to sort of like, just provide me feedback in terms of, uh, I guess what they're thinking, you know, any suggestions that they had. Uh, and quite a few suggestions came out of that meeting. There was loads. There was finish early on a Friday. Yeah, we do that one. But we, we use time. <laughs> oh, you do the finish early on a Friday? Uh, well, in the summer, yes. Because um, I think we, we might, well, we work it on a rotor so that most people can finish early on a Friday, but we've still got people about. But it's uh, it's fantastic for employee morale and, you know, everybody gets to go off and enjoy the sun. Fun in the sun Fridays, it's called. yeah. It's good fun. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So that's good. That's that's good to know as well. Um, and again, for us, you know, so so many different ideas. We had pizza Fridays come out of that meeting as well. Uh, but there were some popular ones, you know. But anyway, what we're now doing is sort of like a, a proof of concept right. uh, over the next couple of few months, where we're going to trial, you know, some of these uh, initiatives to see which one actually works well for the team as a whole, rather than, you know, certain individuals. So it's a, it's an exciting time in that regard, but already just having that conversation with the team, I can tell has already improved morale. Right. Um, and the team is also proving to me that they are in a, they, they've got the maturity as well to, you know, uh, take on some of these extra, should we say, responsibilities that we provided to them as a result of making some of these changes. So, so far it's been good. All right. So, uh, we, we mentioned before about the, the the modern sales person, modern sales professional, and we mentioned how that sort of coachability and their desire to learn and resilience was one that's maybe always been a case for salespeople. Um, 100%. But how would you say that the modern sales professional is motivated beyond money? Are there other factors at play nowadays? That is such an interesting question. You know, when I think about motivation, it comes from within. And I don't even mean that to sound <laughs> preach or anything, but it really does come from within. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really does come from within because for the modern salesperson, what they, a lot of, a lot of people feel like motivation is listening to a, a motivational podcast or a motivational speech. But as we know, that's a short-term motivation. It only lasts you for like a week. You need another dose of that. You need another speech to get you going through the next week, right? But if you can help the modern salesperson, if you can remove ambiguity from that modern salesperson and, and the way in which that they work, if you can remove that ambiguity, help them understand exactly what their role entails, the value their role adds to the business, get them excited about that, and also the the long-term goal, the sort of like trajectory, where they're going, what their careers can look like. That vision, the earlier you can paint that vision for a modern salesperson, the more motivated they're going to be. Because what you what you can't what is not sustainable is constant motivational speeches every day. Tiring. <laughs> you know that yeah, that that just doesn't work. That's like that, you know, it doesn't take it doesn't help anybody. What you want is for them to be 
motivated themselves, like you want that internal motivation, they have to see it for themselves. They have to understand the value of the work that they're doing and what their lives can be and what their careers can look like, you know, in a year, two or three, et cetera. The, the less ambiguity you have around that, if you can get them excited about that, bought into that vision, wow. You know, that for, for sales lead, modern sales leaders, I think that's where we want to focus as opposed to learning how to give powerful speeches. Yeah. So to go even deeper, what about yourself? Yeah. What gets you out of bed in the morning? I think I've kind of like just touched on it. <laughs> so for me, it's that I do want to be, uh, when it's all said and done, I do want to be kind of like, should we say a thought leader uh, in this space? Uh, I think I want to potentially maybe write a book uh, on some of my experiences, uh, that sort of thing. I'd love to be able to just add value uh, to the people I work with. Um, it's also great as well that the team, you know, as I said, because I've hired, should we say like-minded, not, I don't, I don't want it to sound like that, but because they all have certain traits, like high work ethic, you know, you know, the, like Khalid and Lou Anderson, et cetera. So the, like Henry Butcher, Mike Parks, Adam Galloway, these guys have like high work ethic. Uh, again, they all are agile as well as a group. You know, high work ethic, agile. Uh, they've got that passion as well and desire to succeed. So, because we've all got these sort of like traits running through the team, it's so easy to work with these guys. Mm. They make my job so much easier. They're always coming up with ideas and clever way to do this and try this and try that. And because we've got that process in place, it's very easy for them to then want to try and iterate things or try and evolve something. And they come with suggestions. Some are always very strange, <laughs> uh, but then some are, you know pretty cool and we and i action them immediately yeah, that's definitely a book that i want to read so when your book does come out oyin uh be sure to send me a copy uh you're too kind you're too kind all right that's where we're going to leave it for this week thanks very much to oyin and make sure to tune in to next week's episode to hear the rest of this conversation Oyen and Frankie are going to do a deep dive on marketing metrics and the customer journey and lots more. So definitely not one to miss. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast players if you aren't already to make sure you don't miss it. And we'll see you next week.